Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right, checking the checking the levels. I think we're good. Welcome to the podcast. Glory to Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Yeah. Father Mikey Rapp. Yeah, Father in Michael the house. Now we're recording over in uh, the Basil House. Yeah. Uh, the studio has moved with the move of Father Nathan Goble. I don't know if you've talked about this. A little bit. Just uh, we moved it here because my rectory is more central. <laughs> His is all the way up in Farvada, and uh, oh yeah, that's right. So right this was moving it to the Holy Protection Rectory, also called the Basil House. We have a discernment house here at the at the Father Michael O'Loughlin Rectory. I like that your rectory is named after a saint. Yeah, and it's uh, we didn't do that initially because, but now that it's a house of relative formation and discernment for a couple of men discerning Byzantine priesthood, uh, we decided to name it something. So and who's Basil? It's a holy one. This is Basil the Great, the uh, Cappadocian father from the 4th century who was a dogmatist and a, an amazing bishop. And cool story about St. Basil, he's, if you read St. John Chrysostom's on the priesthood, which is a great little book, um, St. John Chrysostom, it, pretty much the whole thing is relating about the priesthood when it comes to friendship, which is, applies to his companions, but oh, yeah. it's about uh, John Chrysostom, and it's, it's really funny kind of the, the banter that John Chrysostom gets in, if you will, about like kind of being mad at Basil for his involvement in John getting made a bishop. Because in the early church, of course, all the bishops came from the monasteries. So so you, that's where the celibates were. So you, you, you had right. the, the bishops being brought from the monasteries, and then you have the situation where many of them were literally physically dragged out of the monastery, dragged to the cathedral, tied down, you know, and and a bishop would come in and lay their hands on them and ordain them a bishop. They didn't want to be bishops. They would yeah. literally be forced to do it. So John Chrysostom is is kind of ragging on Basil for for tricking him almost into uh, into bringing him to being made a bishop. So now did Basil Basil go running or was it his? Is it his brother Gregory Nazianzen? One of these guys. Gregory Nazianzen was one who abandoned his post. Yeah. So yeah. Gregory, Gregory, they were all running for the desert. Oh yeah, they didn't. They obviously had discerned mon- monastic life. They discerned celibacy. They discerned community. They discerned leaving the world to go into the desert uh, to be good monks. And then obviously God had other plans. But then they would bring these men who had discerned the life of community and the life of of, of desert, and they brought them back into the world to be bishops, to be shepherds. And it wasn't something they discerned practically. I mean, they I'm sure they were open to it in a sense, but. Um, yeah, and so I don't know Basil's story as well as like how he yeah, got yeah. brought in. I need to look that I up. I don't. I, I mean, I, I had done some study of Basil in seminary. I remember a line that I really liked is um, if you something about uh, living in community, having community is necessary uh, because with without it, whose feet will will you walk? Exactly. That was Who Basil's quote. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you live alone, he says, if you live alone, whose, whose feet will you wash? It's yeah. like there, there's this understanding we need to be able to wash feet. We need to be washing feet. We need to be serving each other. Yeah. And if you live alone, you can't do that. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love that quote. And that's actually why we called this house Basil House, was mostly because of that quote. So it's, it's um, I don't pretend to be a formator. It's just I'm trying to provide a living space for men who want to discern the Byzantine Catholic priesthood in community. And so I think the formation that happens happens through the community. It happens, it's human formation, in other words, of the four pillars of formation that we have, mm. spiritual, intellectual, pastoral, and human. Um, this this house here is a place of community. It could be better than it is because I'm so busy, but a place of community for men discerning priesthood yeah. and allows that human formation to kind of happen give naturally. Them a, give them some feet to wash. Exactly, Does exactly. Does that happen literally here? Uh, no, but it should. <laughs> we, we could yeah. ritualize that somehow. I yeah. don't know. That might be. Um, <clears throat> I'm in just like a funny uh, place, mood. I don't know. I'm kind of like tired coming back to the, the States, running around, seeing yeah, everybody. Right. And that's great. Uh, but also a little bit like jittery from a lot of coffee or like oh. giddiness because it's great to see you. Yeah. And amen. It's great to be back in Denver. And see yeah. By the way, we're, 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 we're face to face right now. So <laughs> Father Michael Rapp, who you're used to hearing when he's in Rome is back for the summer and uh, it's good to record with him. And we're sitting in my rectory, as you know, as you mentioned earlier. So yeah, yeah. It's good to have you face to face and good to be recording with someone I don't normally record with. Now, how are the levels? Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. And listener land. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, I think our levels are good. We're we're still learning this equipment after so many years. Yeah. One one thing I've realized is that my voice is too deep. Like for during the intro music, so like when I listen to my own podcast during the intro music, all you hear is like this deep muttering, and you can't actually understand what I'm saying. So I don't. When when Goldberg gets back, he he knows the sound. I wish I had that I problem. Yeah. My my voice is too nasally for just about anyone at any time. <laughs> but you sound good on the podcast. At least you could hear your voice. <laughs> oh, man. It's one of those things where to. you hate listening to yourself. Yeah. Um, just because it sounds so different than... I don't know why that why we work like that, but yeah. it's I, unnatural. I, thought, I heard my voice one time, and I thought it sounded so effeminate. Oh, and I was really? Like, That's so weird, because people say it's so deep. And I'm like, so I just claim that deep means manly. But for some, the first time I ever heard my voice recorded on something, I forget what it was. It was back in college. And it sounded so feminine. I was like, dang, I got an effeminate voice. And people are like, no, you don't. What are you talking about? So I think I'm just overly critical. Well, I've got wiry, squirrely. Yeah. All right, well. <laughs> It'll work. Um, it's cool to see the loons. Uh, there's Sour Patch Kids on the counter. Yeah, they're... <laughs> I mean, life is good. We, no, we got that from you guys in Rome, actually. It's in the, <laughs> it's the morning, so we're not drinking whiskey, but we are yes. drinking good coffee. And um, this, I think this this Kerrig, Koirig, yeah, how do you say it? I think it's Kerrig. Kerrig is one of the greatest inventions of oh, our time. Yeah. There's two, really, I th- in, in my mind. This thing that can pour a single cup of coffee yep. and keep it all clean and everything. Yep. Great. Thank you to whoever came up with that. <laughs> I don't know if you're Catholic or not, but right. it doesn't matter. God you're, bless you. You're <laughs> blessing the whole world. Um, the other one is the air blade. You go into these public restrooms, and it oh, used to be yeah. that you had to like <laughs> rub your hands under this kind of tepid, like really slow you know, kind of thing. Or you got to waste the paper right. with right. the paper towels. And now they got that like superpower airblade. Yeah. I yeah, love that awesome. thing. And it's that's kind of my random mind, but yeah, I it, really appreciate these the, technologies. The one problem with the airblade is that if your hands are really wet, I found it like shoots the water back up at your face. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> so, like, true. You have to like shake it off a you, few yeah, times you before give you go. It a little shake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's a good adventure too. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah. If you think of any others, I do love invention. You know what? Can you reach the loon clock? Just. Because it's, I actually pulled the battery out because it's so loud. If you if you bring it down, we'll put it's the, like we'll, right on the hour. Is it? Yeah. So it just stopped because I pulled the battery out. Oh, never mind. <laughs> this is gonna be, now now oh. the battery's on the floor. The battery fell. That's oh, okay. Boy. So no loon this podcast. We'll we'll have it up and running next time. I don't know. <laughs> we'll I don't know the sound. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't do it either. No, I won't even try. <laughs> I've got to practice. Father Nathan could get that on spot. Oh, oh I'm sure. All right. Let's see. Let's talk about um, the priesthood. I hope we haven't done this one. I didn't actually search the archive, but I couldn't remember hearing it. So if it's something of a repeat, then we'll do it differently, I'm sure. Sure. Um, But uh, priesthood specifically, uh, the common priesthood of the baptized. Okay. Okay? So we uh, had this great baptism the other day, and um, just yesterday? Yeah. Um, Evelyn Fraker was baptized, uh, sweet little baby, nice. and uh, she was very well behaved, uh, just sweet the whole time. That's not always the case. No, that's, that's not, not an indication of holiness or anything <laughs> like that. Don't be worried if your baby is not so, if, if the baby's fussy. Um, but one of the one of the rites is anointing and mentioning that you have you are being anointed priest, prophet, and king for Jesus and in in Christ. You know, that, that word Christ is anointed. Yeah. You become something of Christ in the world. Uh, you're a Christian. You're following after Jesus. You're sharing in his anointing as priest, prophet, and king. And then uh, you really take on that character. But I found that a lot of people don't really know kind of what to make of that and how to live that. I'm not sure I can, like, kind of uh, describe it exhaustively. Yeah. But I just want to introduce that into people's consciousness that this is um this is a way of life that you could really have a spirituality of of uh priesthood and um live that in a in a in a powerful way. And yeah. it could really inform your your life and your mission as a as a Christian, as a Catholic. And uh so I just wanted to kind of explore that idea um and uh use Jesus as an example of the great priest that we imitate, and then kind of um, brainstorm on what that can look like and um, what 
I thought of as a particular help to that, which okay. is the evangelical councils. Maybe yeah. how can be lived out practically in, how the, in our how lives. they can relate. Amen. Um, yeah. So con- the, this this common priesthood. I was teaching a class in Rome. I was guest teaching a, 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 just a single lecture on um, on the priesthood for an apologetics class for Christendom College, and yeah. uh, it was delightful. I think Father. Chris Lebstock for letting me teach that day. Nice. He was the regular professor. And um, I asked the the class one of these trick questions that everybody hates, which was, uh, who in here is a priest? Nice. And they start pointing to Father Chris <laughs> and myself, which is a correct answer, right, of course. Right. We're um, sacramentally ordained for the ministerial priesthood. So we're kind of like the examples of priests, and we have a special role and vocation to serving the church as ministerial priests. But I wanted to open it up to recognizing that there is a priesthood that is received and that is lived by Christians through baptism. And that's something that every Christian uh, shares in, that identity, that uh, character, and uh, and the priesthood. And uh, they they were kind of surprised to hear that. And they hadn't really thought of it. And I, I guess I just assumed that that was just something that was kind of known. It's a pretty yeah. simple catechetical fact. But yeah. um, not yeah. everybody is like... That's the problem. ...kind yeah. of living that, you know. So what does that look like? What is a priest? Yeah. Can you just... I mean, I, sure. you don't have to have the perfect definition or something, but I think it's what one, essentially is a priest? Priest, uh, I think essentially is one who sacrifices. One who, nice. uh, who offers sacrifice. There's also certainly the the sense of um mediation yes, between god okay. and man mediation nice. sacrifice and well, i mean obviously we christians would add a lot to that but i think those are two essential yeah, parts yeah, of yeah. any priest that's what, exactly what i thought of okay was uh mediation and sacrifice or mediation essentially is the character um you stand between god and man right uh, or human beings whatever, and uh you somehow bring the people to God and bring God to the yep. people, yep. right? And this is most visible, of course, in the ministerial priesthood. We offer the, the sacrifice of the Mass, um, the one and, and, and final and perfect sacrifice of Jesus, this eternal sacrifice. And, um, and so we kind of stand in this place of uh, very physical place during the liturgy mm-hmm. between, uh, in the sanctuary between God in heaven, wherever that is, and the people in the world. Right. And we're always kind of bouncing between those worlds, you know, in prayer, in contemplative prayer. You go out to the monastery, the yep. monks make good bishops because they are in touch with that world, that heavenly world, Prayerful and kind man. of outside of this world. And then they come back, you know, and we are involved in the world. So we go to the, we go to the coffee shop and uh, sit there and uh, meet people yeah. and... Um, so we have this mediating role, and then it's exercised, this priesthood is exercised by sacrifice. So specifically for the ministerial priest, that is um, to offer the sacrifice of the Mass, of the Eucharist, the liturgy. And, um, but then there's also uh, the spiritual sacrifices that we're gathering from the whole Church, from ourselves and uh, from the people that are united to the sacrifice of Jesus during that liturgy. Right and then offered to the Father. Right. So um, we're constantly living sacrifices and um, the spiritual sacrifices for the sake of the world and, and for the salvation of our own souls and, and the world. Yeah. Um, okay, so <clears throat> the, not everyone is called to be a ministerial priest. Priests, uh, ministerial priests, uh, the sacrament of holy orders is for baptized men, and um, this is somehow within the plan that Jesus set up for the church. Yeah. This is good for the church. Um, we're supposed to serve the people this way, but then you, you're also supposed to have, um, we have this ecclesiology, our sense of the church, is that the church is all of these people who serve as priests for the rest of the world. Mm. It's kind of like a trickle-down thing. Mm-hmm. The priests serve the people, the people serve the world. So there is supposed to be a relationship of mediation that's going on between um, every Christian. Think of a layperson who goes to work. You get to know the people around you, 
And you're supposed to somehow be a bridge between God and those people. Yeah. Um, whether it's your family, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's your friends, you, you're meant to be this bridge who's interceding for them, who's praying for them, who's uh, loving them on behalf of God, yeah. and kind of doing being this bridge both ways. Um, and that's kind of what happens with the mass when people come together. They bring all of the needs of the world. They're out in the world. Yeah. We kind of are uh, one, you know, one foot in the chapel all the time, right? But they're really out in the world, and it's good because they can they can um, understand the needs of the world and then bring them to God. Yeah. And so there's this something of like like this this ebb and flow. I think of an accordion. Maybe that's a bad image, but drawing the people in with all the needs of the world. Yeah. Um, bringing them to God and then sending them back out every time that we get together for mass. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that that relationship with people. And um, and with the world, I'm sure you've read uh, Sherry Waddell's Forming Intentional Disciples. Have you read that book? It's a big focus. I oh, know it's really important, and it's important for my bishop, but I haven't read it. Yet. Oh, okay, so that's I, like I, one of my summer projects. I, I only read it like a month ago. So oh, in, in the book, there's I was looking at the table of contents because my I have two siblings and now four siblings technically with with their spouses in focus, and so they they mention this book all the time. And again, I'm, I'm sure bishops have encouraged it, but so I finally read it and. When I was looking at the table of contents, it was it was mentioning the five steps of evangelization. I think there's five. Yes, five. Um, and the first one, the first one was trust. And I'm like, trust mm-hmm. is not the first step. I mean, like tr- tr- m- many many hardcore Christians still don't trust. But I, I, of course, when I finally read the book, I realized the trust wasn't trust in Christ. It wasn't trust in God. That does come much later when you are what she calls an intentional disciple. Mm-hmm. Trust is actually a human trust in someone who is a disciple. So literally, when we talk about the, the, the priesthood, the common priesthood of the faithful, the common priesthood of the baptized, if they are mediators, the first step to evangelizing someone is you trusting Christ, you, the, the, the mediator, the priest trusting Christ, him being that bridge, him being the one who sacrifices, and the person who you're bringing in or Christ is bringing into the process of evangelization, they trust you. So it's not trusting Christ, it's trusting someone who trusts Christ or trusting mm. someone who's an intentional disciple. And I think that's, she put, Sherry Waddell, when she said that, she put to words what I think all of us have kind of seen, where, again, Christ sends out disciples, he sends out apostles, he sends out harvesters for the vineyard, he sends out shepherds, and, and we become his voice and his hands in the world. So so it makes sense then that that Christ is saying, when you go out to harvest, I've planted, I've sowed the seed, you go out to harvest, the first thing that people are going to see is you. In 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 the iconographic tradition, in, in our icons, you you see the Theotokos, the mother of God, holding Jesus, and she's pointing at him. But in most icons, he's looking at her. Mm. And so it's it's kind of this, this very circular motion within the icon of Mary holding Jesus, Mary's pointing at Jesus, because that's the entire, that's a summary of her whole role, yeah. right, is yeah. to point us to him. That's what she does. But but he's looking at her, and she's looking at us. So there's this, you're, mm. there's this beautiful, we're engaged, the icon engages us because of her. The icon engages us because she's looking at us and our eyes meet her eyes. And then she immediately, then we kind of follow around with the circular motion of the icon, you know, from her head's kind of tilted towards him. And you, your eyes always move in this circle. Any artist will tell you your eyes move in this circle kind of from her eyes, which engage you, which meet you. Then around kind of her rounded shoulders, around her rounded um, elbow, and then it goes to the pointing to him. So it's like uh, the icon yeah. almost moves in this yeah, sense. Yeah, you come in this spiral. Yeah, and then yeah. to Jesus. So there's she is. We we begin our engagement of Christ through. In this case, in this icon, the mother of God. She's the meteor. She's one that engages us through her humanity, through her motherhood, through her obedience, through her gentleness, you know, through her mediation, her intercession. We 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 come. We meet her eyes, and then but then she immediately points us to Christ, who is our savior. So. In a sense, we priests marry in that sense as a priest, right? So, yeah. so she she is she is a mediator. She obviously sacrifices, um, but there's this she has this mediatorship, this priesthood that she participates in that then directs us to Christ. But our 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 initial interaction is with her, and it, it just in this icon, it's it's really beautiful. So things happen. If we can get people, if we can be engaged in the faith enough, and then to get people to 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 engage with us. 
through our being in the world and our evangelization, our love, and then we, like the Theotokos and that icon, direct people immediately to Christ, we become mediators, we become sacrificers, we, we live out our priesthood. Yeah, we point to Jesus. Yeah. And then he, you know, there's that, that, that mutual gift that, that uh, he, he sends them back to us. We have a relationship that uh, leads to Jesus, but also uh, leads to greater friendship and um, communion yeah. in the church. Yeah. Okay, so we're called with this, yeah, this discipleship. And I'm, I guess one, I hate to gripe about this stuff, but uh, there is a sense of uh, like an evangelical urgency that I think is really good. New evangelization yeah. is happening. It's very important for us to proclaim the gospel and to invite people into relationship with Jesus and um, to evangelize, right? But I don't think that's like the the whole of the uh, this priestly spirituality. Okay. Um, there is also something of just suffering with the world yeah. and being there. Yeah. And I think we can very quick, to, sometimes too quickly, insist, I know what this is going to look like for you. For for me to help you as, as a disciple um, is to get you to come to church with me or to get you to profess something about Jesus or to pray more or whatever. But it's like, it's like you have a, a deliverable to sell, yeah. which isn't always something that's helpful. It isn't always something that is necessary. Sometimes people just don't have the grace of faith yet, yeah. and we should be praying for them. Yeah. Lord, provide for them what they don't have. I know a lot of people like that who, if I talk to them about Jesus, they kind of know enough to blow it off and not listen. Mm. And they don't, you know, it doesn't matter how artsy I can be about that or whatever. They need the grace of faith. So I need to be in the chapel. You know, I don't need to be right there talking to them. Now, a lot of people lack courage. And I think the the church in general needs um, the gift of courage so that people are out there inviting people to know Jesus Mm -hmm. and um, kind of boldly proclaiming the gospel. And so this, I don't want to knock evangelization, but there's also a piece where this is like intercessory in a way, uh, like the exercise of the priesthood is intercessory in a way that doesn't insist on a deliverable. Mm. Where am I going to take you? Who, mm. you know, what can I see in your life? This kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but really relies on Jesus, provide for the world, provide for these people. And, um, yeah, I I don't know how to I don't know how to explain that exactly. Well, I, yeah, what I'm what I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's there's a surrender there, because I think mm, it is it yeah. is built into us, especially if we have if we have come to Christ and we do desire holiness and we begin sitting in that holiness, we we desire evangelization, we want to share. That's why I don't understand. Uh, without naming any names, there there are religions that that just that do not believe in evangelization. You know, they'll, they'll say like, well, God has, has offered me something. He's given me the gift, but I have no desire to share this. And it's, it's not even built into the, the ideology of the religion to share this. It's just something for me. So I can observe the whole world going against God's law. I can observe the whole world. And it's very much kind of this, well, some of us are called, some of us are not, you know, and then there's, and I'm going to enjoy I'm going to enjoy the benefits of God's favor because I'm being obedient to him, but I can, I mean, the way this is, this is generalized, but like, like the whole world can go to pot in a sense. And because I have this where we have this desire for evangelization. So I think it's the same thing. I, Father, um, a friend of mine, Father Robert Stanion, who was one of the CFRs, one of the founders, um, he was giving me my, my priesthood retreat before I got ordained. And I said to him, cause he's a CFR. So he always wears his habit and, and I said to him, you know, I have, I'm, I want to always wear my habit. Like I want to wear it all the time. And he said, he said, well, this is the philosophy I would have if I wasn't in a habit. In other words, if I was wearing clerics, if I was diocesan priest, he says, if I wake up one morning and I, and I don't want to wear my habit, I would wear it. And mm. if I did want to wear it, I wouldn't. And it was, it was like this, oh, this, this kind of sacrifice of the, because I mean, obviously not deep wants, but just the surface wants. Like if today I have a day where I'm around, people that would respect the priesthood, would honor me for my priesthood, that would build me up for my priesthood, I'm not going to wear it. If I'm going to be around people that might mock me for my priesthood, criticize me, I'm not going to want to wear it, so then I will, as what you mentioned, courage. So if there's this there's this desire, a human desire, and it, that's good, to share what we have, to share what makes us happy, to share what mm-hmm. makes us joyful. But I, what I, if I'm getting at, what I hear you're getting at, there's a sense where that needs to be tempered, 
almost by surrender. So I say, Lord, I I want to change the world for you. I want I want to do everything, but I'm not the one to do it. I need to remind myself that it's you doing this. It's your grace. It's your actions. So there's even a sense of surrender. I'm going to surrender my own human gifts in this way and say, every once in a while, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to go to prayer into my closet in secret where no one can build me up. No human can say, thank you for praying for me. No human can say you did a good job evangelizing because it's only me and God and God Mm. who sees in secret will reward me. But then my intercession, private intercession, that's incredibly beneficial through prayer. God can use that intercession then to help others. Even if I'm not the main actor, I see this with families. Like how much would we love to be the one to convert our brother and our sister back to the faith? How much would we love to be the one that that converts our boss? But sometimes we go, you know what? I'm going to try. But at some point God says to me, I want you to pray because it's not going to be you to do it. Like, yeah. like, are we willing yeah. to surrender? And we don't surrender all intercession. We we pray, but we surrender the direct intercession so that maybe after working to convert our brother for 30 years, he left the faith when we were kids. You know, now we're, we're, we're adults. He finally comes back to the faith, and all he wants to do is talk about how much this friend converted him. And you're like, dude, I've been working for 30 <laughs> yeah, years, on, and you're talking about this other guy converting you, but that's the beauty yeah, of it. That's the yeah. beauty of the surrender. And there's, yeah, there's joy in that just... Yeah, knowing that you can be in the in the background, and maybe that's right. like more proper to another part of this um, this identity as a Christian. Like, if it's priest, prophet, and king, maybe this is this is like prophecy or yeah. another yeah. piece. Okay, so uh, I want to read Romans, the beginning of Romans twelve. Uh, this is Paul talking to the Christians. He says, "I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God." which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Offer yourselves as spiritual sacrifices. This is the spirituality of this book of Romans mm-hmm. and of, of Paul. He's recognizing that common priesthood in the, uh, in the Christians yeah. and saying, you can be sacrificing for others. Um, so just to recognize that this is not something I'm, that Father Mike is making up or is in, just in the catechism of the Catholic Church or something. But this is, this is the understanding of Christians yeah. from the very beginning. Okay, so you've got this call to be a priest in the world or be priestly in the world. You've got some share in the, uh, the priesthood of Jesus and uh, are invited to mediate um, in the world. So... Maybe you're asking yourself right now, what does that look like? What what is a priest, uh, and how do I, how can I imitate Jesus? What what exactly defines his priesthood, and how can I imitate that? So, we're going traveling around the New Testament. Nice. And this takes us to uh, the book all about Jesus's priesthood, which is, well, not book letter. About Jesus, Hebrews. Yes, letter to the Hebrews. Nice. So I'm going to read four. 14 to 5, 4. Uh, that says, in which version am I looking at? RSV. RSV, okay. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is bound to offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as for those of the other people. And one does not take the honor upon himself, but he is called by God, just as Aaron was. So Jesus' priesthood is characterized here, is described as something of sympathy with people. It's a solidarity with people. Mm -hmm. That somehow he can relate to those who are weak, because he took on weakness. He accepted weakness. And then somehow in that weakness, in the suffering, he glorifies God and offers sacrifices and saves the world. Um, this is the, the redemptive sacrifice. He takes on the weakness. This is similar to that, that uh, 
canonic hymn in um, Philippians. Jesus, mm. although he was with God, he he comes down to be with us and emptied himself. Empties yeah. himself. You know, he becomes weak. And that here in this letter is described as priesthood. Mm. This is priesthood. This is what mediating looks like. Yeah. Is that you you empty yourself, that you allow yourself to be weak, that you accept the weakness because you know that it can be a sacrifice offered to God yeah. and that it can help people and bring them along to God. So I think that's really what I want to point out is that as the um, essentially the, the spirituality of even the common priesthood. Uh, it's something that we seek to imitate and um, as ministerial priests, but also I think every Christian should be um, aware of yeah. sympathy as the way of exercising your priesthood. Hmm. Being able to understand and recognize people in their weakness, to walk with them, to meet them there, not from a place of strength, yeah. not from, hey, I've got it all figured out, let me tell you, not, um, hey, I know how to live perfectly, imitate my life or something like yeah. that, but to say, I understand this, I can sympathize, I, um, I recognize the need that you have of God because I've been in that place of need. Yeah, I've been that beggar. I've been that uh, that uh, that person in the weakness. I've suffered, um, and uh, and that allows Jesus to connect with us in our weakness and to connect with the the worst sinner. Yeah, to connect with the the one who's weakest and who's farthest from God, the one who's afraid. All of these ways that we can be weak. This allows Jesus to reach us. Yeah. He's not some perfect guy who's in perfect bliss all the time and um and can kind of tell us where to go if finally we we say hello you know i, I want to follow your way right. he comes and condescends to our our uh, darkness yeah. you know to the weakness um and then takes us from there so something about this this call to come and priesthood this call to intercede for people to be to be a mediator a bridge is um yeah, is allowing ourselves to be weak, allowing ourselves to um, recognize our weakness, our fragility. Yeah, the, the Pope Francis says that priests must smell like their sheep. Yeah, in yeah, other yeah, words, yeah. like you know, like a shepherd smells like a sheep, and it, there's that that sense of not only for the ministerial priests or those who are ordained priests, but also those those of us who who are baptized, who are therefore priests, and and in Christ's priesthood, and therefore asked to go out among those whom God has given to us, minister, whoever that is, work, neighbors, family, and, and immerse ourselves in their lives. There was one of, one of the brothers was, was, uh, of one of our companion brothers was, was sharing with me that, that he had had this experience of, of weakness and failure. And it, I mean, like, it, it's so funny to hear because like, it wasn't bad at all. I mean, like, what are you telling me? I'm like, dude, that's nothing, but you know, you know, yeah. for, it affects us differently. So, so this, this, this experience of his own weakness that 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 really wasn't weakness but anyway <laughs> I'll, I'll take his word for it it was yeah, this experience, experience yeah it is experience. so uh, he experienced this weakness and it was and he had such a reaction like it really brought him down you know and he you know for like a couple of days he was just in this melancholic mourning because of this weakness and you know once we talked about it and kind of said you know God has allowed you to really feel like he allowed you to feel mourning and to feel the sadness that comes with the human realization of our weakness. He allowed you to do that. Now, that's good for your own soul. God gives us these experiences and, and he asks us mm. to use these experiences to, to participate in the saving of us in our salvation. But he's a, this, this man is also a ministerial priest. And I thought, you know, you can now empathize with people who have had real weaknesses. I mean, yeah. right? I, like real objectively strong things. And and their experience, your, your small experience of weakness and the mourning you went through, you don't need to tell people why you understand them. You don't you don't need to tell people why you can empathize, but you've had the experience of 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 almost despairing because of your own human weakness. And now when you see people, you'll recognize it in people better. You'll be able mm -hmm. to say like I see you're in despair. You know, I I can recognize it because I've been there. There's that great scene in, in that movie Ostrov, uh, the island, the Russian oh, yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, amazing I love movie. That movie! Oh, yeah. it's it's great. And 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 where the um, 
the 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 monk or he's actually not a monk he's just a layman living with the monks and he's up on top of the watchtower and he's watching the boat come in and the the father with his daughter is coming to the island and he he's so he's so he hears the girl clucking like a chicken and so he starts clucking like a chicken and they're, they're like they're they're like this conversation of clucking goes back and forth and when the father gets there the father goes who's who's pretty much an atheist says i don't know what's wrong with her and he goes i know what's wrong with her she's possessed and the father goes mm-hmm what like how do you know she's possessed and he goes because i know this demon personally like it's the same demon that's been attacking him so like there there's this incredible moment of empathy like Mm. he 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 recognized the demon that's why when he was clucking he was literally communicating with the demon you know in in a sense in in of course as someone who's about to do an exorcism but he he, he's converting with the demon, but he knows the demon personally it's like when we don't hopefully we don't know demons personally but you know it's it's sense we do because they're always attacking us and we're always feeling them but but there is this sense of if I've suffered even in a small way, so I think for this priest friend of ours, um, who who was understanding his own weakness, there was a very real sense of of this. It was an evil thing. Weakness is is evil, but God takes the evil of weakness and makes it strength. The evil of the cross, He made into the greatest, strongest victory that ever happened. So He can take our weakness and He can make it into strength. And so, if we've experienced the the negativity of weakness, and then hopefully the the joy and the strength of of that weakness becoming through Christ's power real strength and victory and glory then we can say in others not only do I have empathy for you I I smell like my sheep I I feel mm-hmm. what you feel but I've also experienced the victory I've also experienced yeah. the glory that and, comes, I and that do, of course gives hope I have hope yeah yep. exactly yep. yeah yeah that word sy- sympathy means to suffer with yeah you've been there you yeah. know I know that demon yeah. yeah. And people just know. And I don't think you have to have remarkable experiences of suffering. Some people have really remarkable experiences of suffering that yeah. they can describe or anything. But we're all, we're all human. We're all limited. We're all dust. Right. And uh, we've all been babies, helpless and in need. Yeah. And we're all getting old and we're going to be in need again. Yeah. And we're all, um, we all have particular failures and struggles and crosses and there's lots of weakness in our life we don't like to recognize that but it can be really good yeah and it helps us uh, to humble us enough to depend on god with confidence drawn near to the throne of grace yeah because of the weakness yeah um you you want to beg for say yeah i can't help this person yeah. god you can yeah help them help them and in, and then it turns into that intercession that desire that that begging of god to uh, to help the people that we uh, the you know to meet the needs that we see, yeah. I love that story of the paralytic where the friends bring yeah. bring him in uh, to Jesus. I mean that guy cannot walk over there. even if he believes or even if he wants it, yeah. he can't walk over there. And his friends uh, provide the fee for him, yeah. and um, and their faith is just moving. Yeah. And I think that's like the image of of intercession that um, we meet people and. We say there are things that you can't do. I'm gonna I'm gonna provide for you as much as I can. Um, you don't have faith. You don't know God. You're afraid of God. You don't believe in God. I do. Yeah. And I'm gonna talk to God and say I love this person, um, and they're missing something. Can yeah. you provide for them? Can you you know be there for them? So you have that intercession. So how do we become weak? That's, uh, okay, I said that there's like given weakness. Part of it is recognizing the weakness. Uh, but I think there's also a help that Jesus gives in the evangelical counsels. Okay. That he offers a, a way to, um, to becoming totally given and dependent on God in poverty, chastity, and obedience. And I just had a couple of thoughts. Uh, this is just kind of riffing. You know, I haven't researched this. This is kind of homiletic Let's of sorts, it. but... Um, so poverty, how do you, you got to sympathize with people. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just like imagining what, what it would be like if every Christian felt entirely comfortable just walking up and relating to someone who's poor, who they yeah. recognize as poor. And, you know, that can be like materially poor, somebody on the street. Every Christian is enough of a priest to just sympathize with that person. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. I, you know, I'm poor. I'm poor too. And it's not just about money, but I know what hunger feels like. Yeah. I know what thirst feels like for God, for people, for love, for friendship. Um, and I, I care about you. 
And I don't know what to say. I don't know how to relate all the time. But if we had that, uh, if we had that peace, if we had that connection, that, that solidarity and that sympathy, mm. I think that, that part would come more easily. How can I help you? Yeah. How can I be there for you? Um, intercession. Uh, but this is like the ideal. If every, if every Christian could just love that, yeah. that easily. But the way we get there is that Jesus invites us to become poor. Mm. You know, leave everything and follow me. Uh, we're all called to do that within our state of life. So that doesn't necessarily mean um, God wants you to sell your car and walk everywhere. Um, but maybe he would. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's possibility of poverty um, in a lot of different ways. But yeah. just to point out that the Christian is called to and should want to become poor. Um, materially, yes, we should live very simply and we should uh, take care of the needs of others. And um, not look for our comfort. You know, it's not about how can I get mine, but uh, how can I serve God? Right. And every morning, you know, waking up saying, I, you know, everything that I have and, that, and am is uh, at God's um, yeah. disposal. So it's not only a becoming poor at Christ's request, but it's realizing that we are already poor. Mm. I, I, I think th- those, those experiences are some of the best. You know, we kind of realize that, as strong as we think we are, and as much as we think we've grown, I, I've, I've, I'm sure we've all experienced. I know I have the have the experience of thinking we're stronger than we are in a current situation. It's like I'm going to go hang out with this family member, and we fight every single time we hang out. So I, I think I've gotten to the point where I can I can go spend time with them without fighting, and then halfway through the evening or whatever it is, like I realize I'm getting more and more frustrated, and I'll, at some point I get to the point of no return. I get to the point where I go, I'm no longer in control of myself. Like the, the anger is just going to flow. Imagine like mm-hmm. driving during rush hour. I, I, I commute for an hour and like the first half hour, I hold it together. People cutting me off, getting frustrated. And then at some point I'm going, I can't hold this back anymore. Like I, I, I realize the slave to sin that I am because I mean, think of lust, you know, we, we get to a point where, where there, there's no return. Like that's why we, that why you Romans Catholics say in the, uh, in the creed, um, the near occasion of sin, you know, yeah. avoid that because at some point there's no return. That's our weakness and that's our poverty where, you know, we are, we are poor in, in our own ability to save ourselves. We cannot do it. We're even poor, you know, in, in our ability to be really happy, you know, true happiness cannot yeah. come from ourselves. We, we are poor in happiness. We need to surrender, submit, and then receive happiness from the only one who can give us true joy and happiness. Yeah. And so Jesus, yeah, and Jesus invites us to poverty, to recognize the poverty, to see it in ourselves, to yeah. be able to admit it. That's kind of what uh, this confession helps with. We recognize who we are and our limitations and admit them right. without being afraid of it because right. we can be poor yeah. and we should be poor. Um, Jesus says, blessed are the, the poor in spirit. Um, all, we have all of these goods and we kind of cling to them. You know, my time, my friendship, my church, my, you know, whatever it is, yeah. my faith, my, uh, all of these spiritual goods, and they are good. Right. But when they're mine, right. then they can't always be given to God and they can't, uh, I have to give them up, yeah. allow them to be poor and with confidence that God returns the goods to us, you know. Okay. Poverty, chastity. All I could think about with chastity for the common priesthood mm. was it's, um, it's a capacity for intimacy, yeah. Um, chastity is a virtue that allows us to connect with people deeply. And um, there's, there's just a need for that. Imagine if everywhere you go, you could have uh, the deepest kind of conversation and be helpful mm. and empathetic in, in a deep conversation. So most of the people we meet, we want to talk about sports. We want to talk about um, politics. We want to talk about something that's superficial. Everybody knows about, everybody's informed about. There might be different opinions or whatever, but it's safe. Right. You don't talk about family. You don't talk about religion. Mm. You don't talk about, um, like how somebody is like, imagine going to work and saying, how are you? Like, are you doing well? Right. And you know, can you have that conversation? Right. Um, the, the person who is capable of a certain intimacy and uh, is allows somebody to feel trust mm. and feel confident, and chastity can can build that. Now we usually think of chastity as just like a sexual thing, but I think it's 
also like a way of relating to people yeah. that is, um, doesn't, isn't looking for something, isn't yeah. looking to use people for something, but is free to um, actually relate at a deep level. Yeah. So I don't know if that's quite describing chastity, but... No, I, I think it's good to look at the positive sides for sure and like to see that it is intimacy because if we realize it, intimacy is one of the things that is at the, the core need of every human being. Is, is that intimacy and is that is that bonding, is that communion? Um, almost every sin is a sin because we are we are looking for communion and intimacy that that we we are looking for in a very surface way instead of a very deep way. Mm. I, mean, I know I've, I've shared this story in the podcast before about what me and my buddies would do in Vegas every year. We'd go to Vegas right before school started, and we, we'd have this thing where Vegas is just kind of such a, just a a pit of you know of sexual tension and and flirtation and yeah. so we we me and my buddies would, sin city yeah sin city like me and my buddies would we'd be walking from casino we we didn't gamble but we'd do things like we'd rent scooters and go skydiving and kind of do all the things you can find cheaper in Vegas stay in a really cheap hotel um, and we would we would do this thing where like let's work on like looking directly every woman that we pass let's look directly at her eyes and her eyes only and make sure we smile like with just a pure Hello, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like a pure smile. I like, you know, I like you would greet anybody else in, in if you're in the best mindset, the best mood. You you walk through Vegas and it's it's really easy just to get into a, a false mindset of hedonism and you know yeah. and, and need. And here I am on vacation, kind of like I'm just going to be let all my my spiritual walls come down, you know, and just kind of give in. And and that's the tendency that that a place like Vegas that's what they, that's what they're going for. That's what they're trying for, you know. Especially on this trip, I don't want to condemn the entire city but <laughs> on the strip you know yeah, so yeah. there's this yeah, sense of like practice, yeah. right there's this there's this it's actually so much more intimate in the true sense of the word to look someone in the eye and smile at them especially when there's this expectation of something else to look them in the eye to smile at them and like there's this this moment of bonding and affirmation of the entire person mm-hmm. affirmation of the beauty of the individual um you know like i've said before when i when i walk around my neighborhood it's like I meet the eyes of so many more dogs that people are walking than I do with their owners. Like here's a human being that I'm going to ideally be in heaven with for all eternity. Hopefully <laughs> we're going to be yeah. unified in Christ and we can't even look each other in the eye. Yeah, and yet yeah. the dog, the, their dog is like, hey, you know, just greedy, jumping up and down. Great to see somebody else. Yeah. The, the intimacy of of the unexpected simple Christian bond that can happen with a, I mean, this sounds so hokey, but, you know, just by looking at someone in the eye and smiling, especially when there's something else that's expected from, you know, two yeah. people of opposite sect of, of, of equal age, you know, whatever it is that, that Vegas was. So, so yeah, I, I absolutely think that the intimacy is something we all desire and mm. going a little bit above and beyond to make sure that we are expressing the desire and the actuality of true intimacy rather than all the things that the quote, the world offers us as kind of false intimacies or partial intimacies, limited intimacies rather than the greatest one. Yeah. The freedom and the dignity in that. Um, okay. Poverty, chastity and obedience is the last council. Obedience. My, my first thought, I, there's a lot of different ways to talk about these things, I'm sure. But um, one thought I had was obedience to the Holy Spirit. So imagine the uh, the Christians all around the world who living this this priesthood could respond to the grace of the Holy Spirit all the time. Yeah. Every person was just aware of what uh, what the Holy Spirit was doing uh, in in their environment, in their own heart, in their soul, and um, could respond to the call of the Holy Spirit mm. and just um, act within the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, somebody's here in need, and you can just pray with them. You can just um, kind of give them the words uh, that God has for them. Mm-hmm. Kind of, li- There's like a magnanimity to it. There's some, something greater than ourselves that is present to us, mm-hmm. but we don't always you know, access that. So I think in this way, a lot of Protestants I've met are much better priests than, yeah. than the Catholics. <laughs> yeah. they, let's pray about that. Yeah. Let's pray together. Yeah. Let me pray over you. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a great exercise of obedience to the Holy Spirit. You recognize a need, you know that you can help in some way, and that you can call on God to and be this intercessor for someone. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, we can grow in that. There's a lot of different ways we could grow in obedience, but that one I think uh, I've really been impressed with with our our uh, other Christian brothers and yeah. sisters, and I, I I'm trying to grow in. Yeah, I I'm reminded of. Uh 
of like homeless ministry because if, if you wear a collar and like you're obviously a ministerial priest and you you do homeless ministry you know there, there's a sense of um you know th- think of the story of the good samaritan right the priest and levi just walk by i always read that as they were just in a hurry you know i know there's there's deeper theological implications about if they touch you know someone who's nearly dead then they can't minister the temple etc but th- there's a sense of of being that hurry because that's how i feel i mean my my personality i'm just always in a hurry yeah, and so like to, to, too, to be obedient to the holy spirit to say like hey he's like hey pause here so if I'm doing homeless ministry, if I'm not, if I'm walking around where there's a lot of homeless and I have my collar on, it happens so often that someone will just walk up, homeless person, who generally have all the time in the world, right? And they'll walk up, they'll just grab my hand and start praying. And it's it's yeah. this beautiful like expression of like stop and smell the roses, pause for the person in need, and they they whether they think I'm in need or whether they're in need, like there's oh Someone who prays. If you're wearing a, a collar, you're obviously a prayerful person. Yeah. Here I am. I feel like praying. Let me grab your hand. Let's pray together. Where two or three are gathered in my name. So if you're walking alone praying, that's great. But if you, if I can grab somebody else or three people, then Christ is present in a, in a mm. deeper, more in, in, immense and intimate way. So I grab, you know, grab that person. Wouldn't it be great if if that happened not only with people that were wearing a collar but if you're just wearing a cross like yeah. you have a cross around your neck you're you're a christian back in the early church that you got a cross when you were baptized so the baptized always wore crosses yeah. so it was kind of obvious if this per, if you're wearing a cross you're you're objectively a priest because you're participating in Christ's own priesthood because you're baptized. So if you're wearing a cross and then, you know, every once in a while we pause in the day and we pray. So if like you see someone with a cross, you go, okay, let's pray. I just did a wedding um, of, a, of a friend of mine and, and um, I met her through her brother who is now a Dominican novice. And so it was, we were at the re- wedding reception and, you know, it evening came on and he just walked up to me and he's like, he's like, father, evening prayer. And I was like, yeah, yeah, heck nice. yeah! You know, it, it was just—it yeah. was so beautiful to say we're we're both prayerful people. We're both, in a sense, bound to daily prayer, which is beautiful. And so, let's go pray because it's like I—he I, identified someone else in the room that has the same devotion to evening prayer as he does. And yeah. it was it was just this beautiful moment. I thought I, I said I don't I probably would have done an evening prayer like at nine p.m. or even later that night. But here he was like, let's just pause. We're we're in the middle of reception. Everybody's dancing. Let's go pray evening prayer. Let's pray together. Yeah. And then yeah. it was this there was this moment of obedience and the ability to separate ourselves when the Holy Spirit prompts us to anything, but in this case to prayer, just pause. If you can find someone else who's also a prayerful person, who's also a priest, who's also called to be an intercessor and a mediator and one who sacrifices, live that sacrifice with them. You know, pull them aside, let them pull you aside, encourage them to pray and, and do it together because we're two or three you gather in my name. I am with them. So yeah, that I think yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. That that that's obedience to the Holy Spirit, to the promptings of the Spirit yeah. to, to pause, stop, stopping in a hurry, get your priorities straight and yeah. pray. And uh, the, yeah, I love I like I love your example of the homeless. Uh, just that immediacy of their a sense of need and their willingness to go and ask for help. I mean, people are constantly asking priests, "Would yeah. you pray for me?" Yep. And uh, and that's perfect. That's that's what we're there for. Yeah. That's what a priest does and is. Yeah. And um, yeah, like you say, it just be. It's a beautiful thing if every Christian would be known that way. Right. Can you take my care to God? Right. Can you pray with me? Can we celebrate this together? We're Christians together. We can. Can we pray together? And there are so many people out there who are not willing to do that. You know, the homeless are very like bold yeah. about that. They're kind of <laughs> crazy a lot of times. Amen. Yeah. And uh, that's part of their craziness. They right. just live what they're, you know, live on their sleeve. Let's pray right but now. But there's yeah. a lot of people, you know, this person at work is having a bad day. Yeah. Um, or they're really struggling with faith or they're suffering the death of a, a loved one. Yeah. Or they're really afraid because of something that's happening in the world. It would be great if they could just say, oh, I know there's a Christian in my office. Mm-hmm. Would you pray for me, mm-hmm. or would you pray with me, or that yeah. kind of thing? It's it's so amazing that we humans like sometimes one phrase. Like I, I put on Facebook um, this this beautiful story of this woman. She wrote it herself, and she's like severely anorexic. So she's so anorexic that she has a feeding tube going into her nose. And so, you know, she literally is is kept alive eating by this feeding tube that goes in through her nose. But she lives a normal life. She just has to go see her psychologist oh, wow. and psychiatrist and things like that. But, um, and so you can see it. It's this little tiny tube and it goes into her nose. And so, but she's she seems, I think, because she's probably nearly died so many times that she's just very happy. Even though she's so weak, she's still 
doesn't have the strength to 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 beat anorexia she she's still happy she accepts the feeding tube obviously she could pull it out she accepts the feeding tube and she goes about her life with a certain joy because oh, yeah. she has almost died so and she went into a starbucks and you know how they usually write your name on the starbucks cup she as she relates the story they just wrote smile on the starbucks cup now wow. you could interpret this different ways i think and i'm glad she interpreted the positive way like yeah. they were just saying like her name was smile you know, and I because yeah, you write the name on there, happy. like beautiful. Like she has a beautiful smile. Why not call her smile? And this changed her day. Like she was feeling down, it changed her day. And I also thought, like when I looked at the cup, though, it said smile exclamation point. And I thought, you know, th- she could have interpreted this as someone saying, like, "Come on, smile." Like right. in other words, like telling her to right. don't she, suffer, right, don't suffer. right. But she interpreted the beautiful way, which is good. Mm-hmm. But if if something like writing smile on a Starbucks cup can make someone's day that much. And all this is a word and like a thought about, you know, just the simple thing, like a smile, how much more meaningful is prayer with someone for someone? Like I'm, I'm not only encouraging you in a human way. I'm not only encouraging you psychologically or, or in a human way, but I'm literally saying let's make a real difference in our lives right now by engaging in the grace filled gift of prayer that yeah. makes real eternal changes to our life and so if if a simple word on a starbucks cup can change someone's day for the better and change many people's lives because you wrote this in a blog how much more can actually when you like you said see a coworker who's sick if they're a prayerful person pull them aside and then and then allow the prayer to be very personal when you're doing too like make it real and relevant yeah a lot of people are scared there is a, something intimidating but take it from a priest yeah it's intimidating to be put in the position of that Jesus puts us in yeah. of you're supposed to represent God right now, yeah. or you're supposed to help this person with the game. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. I'm I'm just Mike, you know. And I've right. always just been Mike. Well, that's true, uh, but we can't let our pride get in the way, and so that we're afraid of right. any of these interactions yeah. of of prayer of confidently approaching the throne of grace. Yeah. Help us, God. Yeah. Help us, God. Help this person. I don't know what to pray. I don't have the words. But uh, they they might come, they might not. Yeah. But it's uh, just to be who you've who you are, who you've been anointed to be. Sometimes the most humanly ineloquent prayers are actually the beauty, uh, the most beautiful. Like I I had one time this guy who 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 was coming to me and he was talking and he just said, you know, I I'm illiterate, so. I don't know how to read. So when I go to confession, like I have to, I either have to memorize the prayers or if I have memorized. And so he says, so my act of contrition is just Jesus help me. Mm. It's like if the priest says, you know, go and say an act of contrition and he doesn't have it in front, even if it is right in front of him and he doesn't have it memorized, he just says like, Jesus help. Or I think, I know it wasn't that. It was just like, Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> like it was just like, Jesus, I'm sorry. It's like, that is beautiful. That yeah, is the most perfect. beautiful act of contrition there is. And it's just so simple. You can imagine like you just said, like say, Say like, hey, you look sad. You know, can we talk to Jesus about your sadness together? Mm. And the person goes, sure. And you, nothing comes to mind. You don't feel like I, I'm not going to say anything. My words are not going to be the ones to help this person. So you like, you know, you just say like one time I wrote my mom's Mother's Day card. I literally, I, I could not think of anything to put in her Mother's Day card at all. So I just wrote, I love you like 25 times. I love, nice, I love you. Nice. I love you. I love it. Like what else you can say? Like yeah, perfect. gather in prayer and just say like, Jesus, help, help. Help, help this person. Help. <laughs> you just say, help. yeah, you don't need to be eloquent at all. Just like, here I am praying. And I, even if nothing comes to mind, be silent. Sometimes that's a beautiful prayer yeah. too, you know. And if, you know, if it's if it's very intimidating to say, you know, I'm going to pray with this person. And there's going to be oppor- there's going to be times when you say it's not right to put the person in that position or right. whatever. Right. Discern, uh, yeah. Pray your rosary for them. Offer yeah. a mass for them. Yeah. Light a candle for them. We have lots of practices yep. of intercession and, and devotional practices. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Time. Okay. Um, we we here in Denver do shout-outs. You guys never got in that tradition oh, in no. Rome, did you? Well, let, we do let, let, me just do, let me do three because normally Goble and I alternate back and forth. Or in the last podcast, he sang the theme song while I, while I did the no, shout-outs. Nice. I won't ask you to do that. So let me just do three shout-outs so that we can get – we have a massive list here. Okay. Probably like, it's like 50 of them. So we'll try to get through at least three of them now. All right. Uh, shout-out from Emma Sullivan to my good friend Andy Kang who is joining the Dominicans on August 17th. We were student ministers together at UC San Diego. Pray for him. Will do, Emma. Thank you. Yeah, nice. Uh, thanks for all that you do. I love the podcast and frequently play it for my non-Catholic friends who never believe that you are all priests 
until the banter ends. Ha ha. I don't even know who that's from. All right. <laughs> anyway, to you, we sound unpriestly, hey, I guess, until we start talking about Jesus. <laughs> All right. Uh, from Mark Hotovny, something like H-O-T-O-V-Y. A birthday shout out for my girlfriend, Rebecca Hashke. I think Hashke, H-A-S-C-H-K-E. On August 28th, I'm pro banter. 